Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is the Clubhouse Golf Monthly's weekly podcast where we take a look at the various different events in the world of golf. My name is Neil Tappin and I'm joined this week by Michael Harris. Mike, hi, how are you? Hello Neil, just the two of us this week. Just the two of us this week and uh, it was a good weekend of golf, wasn't it? It certainly was, really exciting. A couple of um, great tournaments on, obviously, uh, Dubai Desert Classic has become a real fixture on the list and then over in America... Um, the waste management. Um, yeah, it's catchy, that one, isn't it? It's really catchy. Uh, but what you can't deny about that event at, um, in Phoenix is amazing crowds, great atmosphere, something very different when it comes to regular tour golf. And we will come on to that. We will come on Sorry to Sorry, uh, jump, no. jump the gun there. <laughs> uh, first, I'm going to just uh, talk about what we have coming up. So we're um, going to obviously look at the two weekend winners Um uh, Danny Winnett and Hideki Matsuyama and then we're going to hear from a European tour player by the name of Morton Oren Madsen uh, I caught up with him while I was out in Abu Dhabi um, and we've got a really um, good little interview with him he's uh, quite an amusing chap actually I quite enjoyed uh, catching up with him uh, then we're going to just have a talk about some of the recent gear releases because um, Mike and I are obviously quite heavily into golf equipment <laughs> that would be fair to say <laughs> and there have been quite a few big ones recently so I thought we might just touch on a couple of the um, of those and then we're going to look ahead at next week's or next week's this week's this week's tour golf yeah absolutely yeah, um, so uh, there's a lot to talk about so let's start um, okay Mike so quick question for you um, let's say you're a tour player all right, try to picture that. <laughs> I can, yeah, it's, you know, not beyond that. Well, actually, it's beyond the <laughs> realms of possibility. Um, and you have no um, uh, commercial obligations to play in either Dubai or Phoenix. Which yeah. one would you choose? Oh, that is a very good question. That is a very good question. I think Phoenix offers something different to week in, week out on the tour. So I can really see the appeal of that. I know Shane Lowry talked uh, on the television watching interview he did uh, with the Sky Guys. Obviously, he had a really good week. Uh, really enjoying playing out on the PGA Tour. He's playing at Pebble Beach this week. Uh, and is you know, he's playing well. And he just said the atmosphere, playing in front of all those fans on the... 65,000 people were there on yeah, Sunday. It's, it's crazy. It, he said it's crazy. He said it was like a sort of music concert. Um, it must be special to, to, to do that because it's unlike any other week... On the tour, I guess it's the only thing that comes close to it is Ryder Cup. I don't think you'd want it every week, but it just as a um, something coming as it does at the start of the season. Great, you know, great way to really um, get the focus on golf. You look at the attendance numbers, and they were phenomenal. They're through, absolutely through the roof, and it's one of those that if a player wins it. It is a big tournament to win, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. It's partly because the money's big. Yeah, <laughs> the money is big. Yeah, I think the, the winners check was 1.1 million dollars which is big reasonable um even by you yeah by tour standards that's quite a big uh, but actually it's that thing of winning yeah. in front of so many people and having the guts to go yeah right down the line and everyone's sort of the thing about golf i always think is what makes a live golf event so incredible to attend is when you have that many people so sixty-five thousand people at the phoenix open and around the 16th green they will have had i don't know what the number is but it would have been let's say 30,000 mm. 25,000 30,000 people and you have that many people in a sports stadium and then they go dead quiet or they, they don't go dead quiet some of the time yeah so just as you're addressing <laughs> the ball suddenly you can hear a pin drop and you don't get that in any other yeah. sports really do you so i always think that 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 sort of uh, atmosphere that creates that kind of intense pressurized atmosphere that's what makes big golf tournaments so great and that's why 
I, I, I'm with you. I love the Dubai Desert Classic. I yeah. love it. I've, I've been out there so many yeah. times, and I think that tournament has a great feel. It's definitely a big tournament. But if I was a player, I think you'd want to play in front of, of that many people. Yeah, absolutely. Put yourself in that, that situation. But I think what was interesting to see is you look down the, the leaderboards of both events, and all the big names are out. You know, Tiger aside... Uh, I can't really think of anybody who didn't... Oh, Spieth didn't play, did he? No. He was very tired after all his travelling. Yeah, well, he's got to be he's... careful. I mean, the, the, the opportunities are there in front of him. Yeah. You know, the, financially, these are big opportunities. Yeah. But if he um, doesn't play in tournaments like Phoenix mm. and then goes a few weeks and then Ricky Fowler yeah. pick, picks off the old yeah. one here and there, you know, you, you, you never know. It could undermine the, the foundations of a good year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you, you would hate to discourage... Um, American golfers in particular, but but young golfers, full stop, traveling worldwide, playing in different um, events, different conditions. I think Spieth has been quoted as saying he won't be doing that again anytime soon. I think he found it quite tiring. Uh, and much as we joke about the pampered lifestyles, it is tiring getting on and off planes, um, going through different time zones. So... And then th- yeah. he's, he takes on the responsibility of that tournament on his shoulders. Absolutely. It's not like he turns up at Phoenix and he's one of yeah. the top 10 players in the world. Yeah. He's the absolutely big ticket player. Absolutely. So he does all of the pre, uh, yeah. pre-tournament interviews. He does the press calls, everything yeah. on his own. And event- effectively, the success and failure of that tournament yeah. gets lumped onto his shoulders. So there's yeah. actually a bit of pressure that comes with that sort of thing. Anyway, let's look at actually what took place. So um, Hideki Matsuyama beat Ricky Fowler in a playoff. Fowler yeah. had a... I think he had a two-shot lead with a couple of holes to play, didn't he? He, he did, and I was watching it last night. I have to say, I couldn't quite make it through to the playoff. I was uh, <laughs> looking at the iPad in bed, and I was nodding chicken, sort of <laughs> head was going back and forth a bit. And I certainly stayed to the uh, end of regulation play. But as I say, as you were quite right, Neil, that Fowler had a two-shot lead and then made a, a slightly strange decision, I think, to hit driver at 17, which is a shortish par four by uh, professional standards and he hit it through the back of the green into the water hazard. It's well over 300 yards. I know, I I think he hit his drive to get it in that water hazard at the back. I think they were saying it was towards 370 yards. Now, um, interesting to hear the commentator saying been working with Butch Harmon, been putting on a bit of extra length when it comes to driver, put that new um, Cobra King Limited driver in play this year, and, uh-huh. and he really likes that. There was some interesting piece on PGATour.com really talk about why he really likes that driver. It's very classic look, but a lot of technology in there. Um, so, but I would have thought the sensible play with a two-shot lead all day long would have to be lay up, keep it short of the water. Water cuts in on the left-hand side. It was a really smelly pin position, front left. You know, why are you even thinking of trying to knock it on the green? I don't really see the advantage of that. If you're chasing the lead, maybe, but with a two-shot lead, surely you've got it's... to lay up. Where, John, worst you're going to make it is a four. I'm going to play devil's advocate here by saying that it's a good sign that he is so aggressive, isn't it? That he's not scared to hit driver in that situation. That I, I, I take your point, okay, that essentially a bit of course management, yeah. you know, use your brain, son. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a good sign that he's in such a positive mindset that he wants to basically finish the tournament there and then. No? I, I'd have to disagree. <laughs> I, I think it is, he's obviously incredibly confident, stood over the uh, tee shot with the driver, but part of golf is is course management, game management, knowing when to attack, knowing when to defend. Uh, I remember interviewing Tom Watson, sorry, name drop there, and he said 
one of the things that Nicholas taught him was that if you're going to miss a green, miss it short in the throat of the green. It's much easier up and down. Don't go through the back. Go through the back. There's all sorts of trouble, obviously, on American courses. You often find water there. Uh, on, you know, sort of British courses, um, links courses, you often find a lot of bunkers or horrible rough. rough. You're just dead through the back of a green. So, of course, you need to... Um, be able to attack need to be able to put your foot on the gas I think when you're leading a golf tournament and you've only got two holes to play you have to I, I think that's poor game management but he's right? only a young lad <laughs> he is only a young lad um, he'll learn he will well yeah you'd, you'd hope he'd learn uh, but you'd say you don't want to knock attacking tendencies out of golf you don't want to make them just fairways greens guys who are you know just win a putting contest yeah but there is a time to attack and there it's but i think that's why i'd like to see more short par fours used in tournament golf because they do have the propensity to you know had he knocked it on the green held the green and then gone on to make an eagle you just said fantastic great but the fact that he took five in the end shows that those risk reward Short par fours have a have a great place, I think, in tournament golf. The irony of what we're talking about here is that in the in the playoff, he went to lay up with a five wood and hit it in the water and left. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about Matsuyama because he um, obviously been a great player for mm. a, a significant amount of time. Won before on the US yep. tour, um, and is I guess he's one of these players that if he did emerge and become one of the top five, six, seven, the top ten players in the world, you wouldn't be too surprised. No, absolutely. I've got to say, I don't have uh, Hideki's sort of tour stats at hand. This is sadly <laughs> where uh, you need... Where's Nick, Nick when you Nick need Bob, him? Well, I know he's in bed having stayed up all night watching the Super Bowl, so he took today off. <laughs> um, but uh, that's where you need him to sort of give you some career stats. But absolutely, he's been a guy who has been very successful on the PGA Tour and has travelled well, actually. Played well when he's... Uh, been over, um, you know, playing global events as well outside of the outside of the US. So no, absolutely, just think it shows the strength and depth both on the PGA Tour, but also, you know, you could say the same thing about the European Tour as well. Yeah, well, that leads us on to talk about the European Tour Indeed. because uh, it was a it was a huge. I mean, for as far as it's probably a mid, I say not mid ranking. It's a higher ranking European Tour event, but it's got all your regular European mm. Tour guys in it. It's probably one of their. Yeah biggest events of the year the likes of you know your, your Danny Willits Andy yeah. Sullivan's Rafa Cabrera Bayos um it was a it was a great tournament wasn't it that final that few holes they were all in there and they were no one was backing out it was great to watch uh, what I think is really interesting is to see how that course is set up for the final few holes it really is it's a tough test there are birdies to be made, but equally there are, you know, bogeys as well. I think that 18th hole is... You've played the course a number of times. I've never been out to yeah. Dubai. I've been I in know. that water on front of 18 a few <laughs> times. I'll tell you that. Uh, what I thought was really interesting, again, commentators, you know, showing and seeing Pro Tracer, where the guys were, you know, having to tee it up right on yeah. the far right-hand side of the tee box. I'd have been worried about hitting the marker with my uh, <laughs> over-the-top swing. I think I'd have needed to come a little bit further to the left. But booming it over the trees, having to really land it in the first cut of rough on the left-hand side of the fairway so you don't do what Willett did and, and run through the fairway into the first cut on the right-hand side. Uh, Cabrera Bayer managed to do that. Danny Willett just had a little bit too much on it, land on the fairway, ran through. So I think it's a great closing hole, uh, great golf course, and I think it's you know not too much of a stretch to call it 
um, the Middle East major, really. I think it's what the guys mm. on Sky were yeah. billing it as. And you look at the list of players who've won it in the past. Yeah. You look at the um, quality of the field, and it's it's right up there. I would I would certainly I would certainly echo that sentiment. Um, interesting looking at uh, Danny Willett's stats first in putts per greens per re- in regulation, which sort of follows on from the sort of Jordan Spieth um, thing of get it on the green and then hole it wherever, <laughs> wherever you find it. Um, he was. He was great to watch. I think it looks as if Danny Willett has made that that sort of that jump mentally more than anything. You know, he he wasn't. The interesting thing was that Sullivan was throwing birdies at him. Cabrera Bay was playing with him, and mm. then birdied seventeen and didn't didn't go away, did he? Cabrera no, absolutely. Bay didn't go away. Yep. Sort of, he was your tip for last week. Well, wasn't uh, thank he? you for mentioning that. I didn't yeah. think you were going to. And um, and uh, just if uh, just for when Nick's listening, Ben Ann finished. <laughs> I think one shot worse than yeah. my tip. So uh, <laughs> so I won that one. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, d- just looking at Willett, do you think he can kick on from here? He's now up to world thir- he's 13th in the world now. And interestingly, Matsuyama's 12th. Right. Uh, so they both made a big leap in the mm. right direction. Do you think Danny Willett, because he was a former world number one amateur. Yeah, we, the, do you remember we put him on the front cover of I Golf do, Monthly yeah. when he was an amateur? Yeah, and which people didn't know much about him and we decided to put him guy? on the cover. Um, so... He's served his time uh, well. I think he's accumulated a lot of experience on the European tour, then stepped up playing the majors, playing the WGCs, really shown improvement year on year. Really naturally confident guy. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, it's not beyond the um, bounds of possibility that he could, you know, could really challenge in, in, in all of the majors this year. And Mike, before we started to, um, the, the podcast, you mm. made an interesting point to me about when the players need to play well this year because the schedule has been so squished mm. this year by what's happened with the Olympics. Yeah. And if Dan, if this is Danny Willett's season right here, let's say yeah. he, he's played well this week and then he, he, he plays well for the rest of the year but maybe sort of goes off the ball, doesn't mm. maybe maybe logs a few top tens but doesn't win again. Is he gonna be the forgotten man because of that though that that density of tournaments through the kind of mid summer, yeah. mid late summer? I think, again, it was something that the commentators on Sky were talking about yesterday that, of course, you want to be in any tournament you play in as a top player. You want to be winning, want to be contending. Uh, In a Ryder Cup year, it's all about the timing. You can come from nowhere, uh, not have had a great start to the season, not even played especially well in 2015. But in a Ryder Cup year, if your performances really come to the boil in those key months, as you say, you know, um, forget the, you know, we put the Masters to one side, really, obviously, when the US Open, Open Championship and US PGA are. If you have a good eight weeks then, you could come from nowhere to be in the Ryder Cup team. And equally, you might then, even if you don't make it on points alone, you might really have caught the captain's eye there, could make you a strong uh, choice for yeah. uh, for one of the wild card picks as well. So, Form is really important going into a Ryder So what Cup. you're saying is that Danny Willett, even though he looks pretty much now, he's yeah. third in the yep. European Tour ranking, he's second in the world points list. Actually, now's not the time that you submit your place on the no, list, ab- is it? No, absolutely. I mean, it, it's all, you know, he's banking points, which is, you know, he'll be really happy about. I'm sure it will have been uh, a big goal of his to play on the Ryder Cup team. Same with uh, someone like Andy Sullivan as well. You know, again, had another strong start to the year. Um I know he's desperate to play on the Ryder Cup team. He would be a great character. He would to have be really team, good. Really, Again, you know, without just regurgitating what the commentators on Sky were saying, he is, and we, you know, we, we know from having worked 
quite closely with Andy, who's our playing editor um, for a year, and we've done quite a lot of pieces with him over the year. He's a really, really good fun guy. Great, um, um, great attitude, great personality. Would be, you know, really good, really good asset to the Ryder Cup team. I think be very confident. Wouldn't be, you know, would want to go out there. Would want to be going head to head with Spieth or Mickelson. Oh yeah, wouldn't um, be. I no, mean, just wouldn't be phased by that at all. No, not at all. And what you see is what you get with Andy. I mean, we've <laughs> we, we've worked together with him so many times. Over he was our playing editor. Yeah. Um, and. <laughs> He's he's a top he's really, a top bloke and we wish really him well guy. absolutely um, yeah and and let's hope that you know he maintains that form kicks on this year and cements his place in the you know Ryder Cup team and he will do that by putting in solid performances in the big events the main body of the season and um, one question I was going to ask mm. you actually was looking at the prize fund between um, Phoenix and the Desert Classic mm. so Phoenix was one point one seven million for the winner mm-hmm. um, dollars mm-hmm. and. Danny Willett won four hundred and two thousand euros. Now the difference between dollars and euros isn't that huge. Right. It's not it's not massive. Yep. Um is that a problem for the European tour? Because how you know without wanting to bank it all about mm. money, and it isn't all about money for these players, but you know, you you, you look down to tie, where McElroy finished tied six, he won seventy eight grand. And that will probably be <laughs> the irony being he finished tied six, that will probably be one of his lowest paychecks yeah absolutely i think if the desert classic wasn't where it is in the schedule yes it might be an issue but i think with that middle east swing with the guys you know having been out there for abu dhabi for qatar then i don't think they're likely to shoot the other side of the world for um yeah to um to, to play in phoenix Unless that was then the start of their U.S. schedule, you know, let's say we go on to play Pebble Beach and then um, the the Honda, and then on from there. Uh, sorry, Northern Trust Open, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so difference in prize purses has always been quite skewed from the PGA Tour to the uh, European Tour, and I think that is a contributory factor to why so many European Tour players go and play over there it is their career it's their way of they earn a living by that uh great living they do too but they've got to think that they need to ma- maximize their opportunities to make money um so it's not a surprise that they go over there also you see the conditions you know we've just come back from america and and what was you know a standard resort course i mean the pr- practice facilities yeah they're, the, the, you know, they, they're yeah. just fantastic and i remember lee westwood making the decision when he went to play full-time on the PGA Tour, he cited that fact of, you know, being able to practice in the sunshine. It works out not renowned for his yeah, good, it's weather not, in the winter. Well, when you only have to look at the weather outside at the yeah. moment. It's blowing a hooli, uh, lashing it down, and um, you couldn't really do a lot of serious practice outdoors. You can obviously work in a sh- swing studio over here. Um, <laughs> Easy for you to say. But but obviously no substitute for being out on the golf course um, on the practice ground practicing outside. So you can see why um, European tour players go over uh, to ply their trade on the on the PGA Tour. Um, and we are about to hear from uh, Morton or Madsen. But before we do, I want to just touch on one other news story actually that you told me about mm. again before we started, which was um, this thing about the BMW PGA Championship. And the BMW PGA Championship on the European Tour is the big flagship, or it has been known as the flagship European Tour event uh, held at Wentworth. Um, and it is the one that the European Tour would cite as being the sort of the jewel in the crown. Mm. Um, 
Now, there might be a bit of a storm brewing there because um, some of the residents are kicking up a little bit of a fuss, should we say? Or Yeah, I think that or certainly that's what the media reports last week sort of portrayed. And, you know, as you say, it is it's always been a focal point of the European tour season. Although I think you would speak to a lot of players uh, and you speak to the agronomists and they would say it's not the ideal time to be playing a tournament, an inland course during May. The growing season is not really growing. Well, it's also you really get that sort of two stage growth on the greens that, you know, if the greens are seeding during the day, you get quite um, uneven. You can get uneven putting surfaces. And that's well, why so you get the meadow grasses coming. Through. Yeah, absolutely. Cause it's impossible to keep them out on a you know on an inland course. It no matter what you seed the greens with, um, you know if you want it to be a particular type of grass, you will get meadow grass infesting it. That's the time where it starts seeding. So putting surfaces aren't great. But but Mike, course aside, yeah. Yeah, yeah. just give us a, give us a heads up. What what is the specific issue? So Wentworth Club has changed ownership um, relatively recently. It's now. Um, uh, some Chinese owners uh, who bought it from Richard Caring, and they are seeking to make the club even more exclusive than it has been. So I haven't had all the numbers verified, but my understanding is that members will need to rejoin uh, Wentworth Club, whether they're a golf member, tennis, whatever, uh, and the prices will be significantly higher than they have been. Um, they're not looking to take any green fee business from either corporates or individual um, golfers wanting to go and play what is obviously a very famous course. Everyone knows about the West Course, there's the East there as well, and the Edinburgh. They're three great golf courses. They've always been expensive green fees, but they're now looking to make it ultra exclusive. And uh, my understanding is a lot of there are a number of residents on the who live on the Wentworth Estate and some wonderful properties who are members of the club who, quite frankly, are not happy about the new proposed membership structure. They've always played ball uh, when it's come to... Actually staging the tournament. Yeah, staging the tournament, because it's very intrusive. If, if anybody who's ever been to Wentworth to, to, to watch the BMW PGA Championship will know that you know the level of uh, intrusion with you know grandstands going up, uh, all the infrastructure that goes around a big tournament, it, it is intrusive for the residents. And they've always played along with it, um, You know, partly because I expect they're very proud to have the tournament there, particularly members of the of Wentworth Club, but with the sort of situation changing, that I, I think there was a sort of leaked letter got into the press, and it was sort of saying, you know, if you don't look after us, or we don't treat us, you know, in what they believe to be the correct fashion in terms of their membership at Wentworth Club, don't expect us to play ball when it comes to all the things that we need to agree to to make the tournament run smoothly. So I think watch this space. I think there's probably a little bit of um, drawing up of the, uh, you know, of the battle lines, trying people trying to, you know, whether it's residents or Wentworth Club, the tour, trying to sort of establish their sort of position and, and negotiate from there. But um, it was, I must say that when we heard the news that the new owners mm. come in, and uh, asked all the members to reapply mm. for their membership at a, mm. at a much higher rate. Uh, it's one of these things. Wentworth is one of the great old golf courses yeah. in the UK, and the members there, yep. you know, it's a bit of a kick in the teeth, isn't yeah, it? If you're absolutely. a member there, you're so proud of where you're a member. Yep. It's not cheap. It's not like no, it's, absolutely. You know, and you, and and they 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 do have to put up with a lot, yep. I would say, because the West Course is out of action for the members a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but to have that to happen to them, you can understand why they're upset. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, sort of, as we all know, anybody who's a member of a golf club, it's a, you know, it's a big part of your life. And if you have the status quo changed, 
um, not at you know not at your you know it's not an idea of the of the members I'm sure I don't know what sort of level of support there has been amongst members for you know for the proposed changes I you know I hear on the grapevine a lot of members you know applying to be members at some you know other clubs and sort of you know that sort of wonderful belt of you know Surrey Berkshire Heathland yeah, there is no, no shortage <laughs> of great golf courses there which um you know they're all sort of top end in terms of joining fees and, and annual subs but um probably coming without that you know, eye-watering particularly eye-watering price tickets that we're being here banded yeah. about well we should watch this space mm. because that tournament is under a bit of pressure at the moment because yeah this uh, well uh, la- i think it was dubai time keith belly came mm. out and said um, that the BMW Championship couldn't be thought mm. of as the European Tour's flagship event because the prize fund wasn't high enough. So he was, I think he was calling out BMW a little bit on that, mm. I suspect. Um, and since then, obviously, the BMW um, event in Shanghai came yep. out of the final series. That's another um, yep. big deal for the flagship sponsor, you know, the biggest yeah, yeah, sponsor absolutely. the European Tour has. And now this, we'll see. We'll I see think, uh, And I think the important thing is that put all the sort of politics and um, and what have you to one side. The European Tour desperately needs high-profile events at that time of year. We don't need Completely any more agree. excuses for the guys to go off and play in the States because, you know, there will be a big event up that, up against that uh, on the, you know, on the PGA Tour schedule. Don't, you know, don't give the guys a reason to, you know, to not play an event in the UK during the main part of the golf season. We could do with more, not less not, not less i completely agree and um it will be interesting to see what happens with that we all hope that the um that the powers that be are able to sort of turn yeah. around and make it all happen but uh, in the meantime we are going to now switch over and um hear from morton or madsen a uh, young danish golfer very talented um one on the european tour uh, a couple of years ago uh, i met up with him in abu dhabi and um you'll hear from him now Okay, so you join me here, and I am joined by Morton Oren Madsen. Morton, hi, how are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Great. Um, Morton, I've got a few quick fire questions for you, yeah, so um, let's get away. cracking. How many shots is a good caddy worth? Mm, you mean you mean per round, or you mean per year? <laughs> <laughs> um, per year, go on. Per year, I mean, you know, he a good, a very a good caddy. You know, my, I have a very good caddy, so he, he. I mean, I'd say he, you know, he saves me some shots a year. I'm, it's tough to put a number on, but you know, he he. Yeah, we're probably around station about ten shots a year. Is that strategy, or is that um, is that just general clubbing and, and reading greens? Is that sort I of? I mean, at the, yeah, it's, it's a combination of everything. You know, it's a combination of you know, you know, good good strategy, you know, good advice, but also you know, helping you keep calm when you're you know with a, when you're a bit flustered, a bit out of it, uh, you know, and so so you don't make stupid decisions. You know, he has, you know, it's a caddy's job is to keep a. A cool head when you know when the player can't. Okay, doesn't so. Okay, and uh, what's the best tip, golf tip anyone's ever given you? Um, I don't know. It's it's I've had, I've gotten a lot of good ones over the years, but you know, keep your head down. Probably is probably the one you know I've, I, start, I keep reverting back to. Uh, do you mean in the golf swing or do you mean just working hard? Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it works both ways. I mean, and you know. I've always, I've, I've always been a firm believer. You know, if you know, if if something wrong, you have to work to fix it. You know, it's not going to fix itself. So I've always, my my philosophy has always been to, you know, keep your head down and work hard. Um, would you rather win ten tour titles or one major? Hmm. That's a very good one. 
I'd, pro- I'd probably I'd probably still go visit one major. I mean, that's you know, that's the pinnacle of the sport. You know, that's you know, it's got so much history behind it. Yeah, ten tour titles is a great career, though. Huh? I know ten tour titles is an awesome career, <laughs> but you know that that one major, you know, that that'll put you in history forever. So I mean, I I, I stick with the one major. Okay, and the next question might not apply to you because obviously you are clearly an athlete. But if you had a tip for us to play golf with a hangover, yeah. <laughs> what would you say? I mean, I've, I've, you know, this this is obviously off the record, but I have I have done that. But it's on the record. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. yeah. I'll, I'll still say yeah, I have. Obviously, I have, you know, tried to play golf with a hangover. Um, uh, to me, that's not really any good advice. You know, you just have to get through it. You know, the fresh air is probably going to help with the hangover, but it always obviously depends on how hard you went the night before. But uh, yeah, a, 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 a good a good a good tip when you if you're playing hangovers keep your expectations low <laughs> that's a good tip that's a good tip for me uh, pretty much all the time um, what's your favourite format that isn't stroke play probably foursomes you know I growing up I played quite a bit of you know team golf back home in Denmark you know it's it's you know we do quite a bit of that uh, I know that it's not the case in all countries but in Denmark we do quite a bit of team golf and I really enjoy team golf so it, I mean playing foursomes you know it's it's something you know. It's the psychological part of golf really comes in, comes into play. You know when you're only hitting every other shot. So I I, I quite enjoy that. And you know, obviously, I haven't you know had the the pleasure of playing any team golf as a professional yet. But hopefully that's something that that's in the cards for me down the road. But uh, yeah, I really you know foursomes. Uh, I mean foursomes or four balls. I mean both is is is, is really cool. Um, would you rather have Rory's driving or Jordan's putting? Jordan's putting, no doubt. You know, obviously, R- Rory's driving is beyond unbelievable. You know, but I think John Spieth, you know, the way he sets himself sets himself apart, you know, on the greens is is is, is fantastic. You know, being obviously he's a great ball striker as well, but you know he's not not even close to the same level in ball striking as as Rory. But you know, he still still wins, you know, a bunch of majors. So I mean, I think uh, definitely Jordan's putting. Yeah, that's the the case proven there. I think. Um, What's been the biggest equipment development in your career, do you think, since you st- first started to play the game as a, as a youngster? What's been the, the biggest change in equipment? Uh, probably, I mean, probably the ball. I mean, the, 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 I, I was gonna, almost going to say the driver, but, you know, the, the ball was still, uh, the ball was going unbelievably far, unbelievably far even when I started. Uh, so probably, probably the ball. I mean, just, you know... The companies, you know, especially Titleist, obviously, you know, getting, you know, yeah, there's a little name check there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's the way that you know they, they they have the ball go really, really far, uh, and still feel soft around the greens is is unbelievable. You know, and and that because it didn't always used to be the case, did it? I, I know, and I, 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 unfortunately, I haven't really tried. You know, you know, I haven't, really, I didn't really play golf when 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 that was the case. So, but uh, yeah, to me, it, you know, it's it, it's awesome that you can you can you can have a ball that goes. 300 yards plus and then and, and, and still feels you know you can still spin it around the green um okay next question if you could change one rule of golf which rule would you change hmm. you know that i know there's, there's there's one rule i'd like i'd like to change you know that if you hit if you if, you, if you're hitting a provisional or a new ball from a, from a fairway bunker you should be able to re- recreate the lie instead of having to drop it. Dropping it. Dropping it in a plug lie is no, no good it, for anyone. I mean, you know, it's it's you know, it, you always you know when 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 you're hitting a, a a professional ball or a new ball from from anywhere other than course, you know, you have a 
you had the same lights you just had and in the bunker you're hitting off a plugged plug light and, and that i mean it's a small thing obviously but you know it's it and it doesn't happen that often but i still think that's that's a rule that can be changed no i think that's a good call um i think i should be allowed to just if i lose a ball just to play another one without any penalty personally <laughs> yeah, you should all make, make make all trees lateral hazards too that's that that would be a good one as well yeah, it'd save some time as well it will oh God, yeah that we could do with that um if you could be a golfer from another era who would you be hmm probably probably arnie i think because i he had a you know he had a very you know unique style he wasn't you know it wasn't textbook uh but you know he made it work and he was still you know obviously one of the greatest players in the history of the game so uh yeah i'd probably say arnie i mean it looked like and it also looked you know it looked like he was you know obviously he was well liked but you know it looked like it sounded like he was well liked by his peers as well so and cool huh and very cool as well and very cool so i mean i, I think i think I'd, i'm gonna stick with arnie obviously so because he, he sound he sounded like he, he looked he looked like a fun loving guy indeed indeed and if you could ch- uh, have the chance to play one shot in your career over again so if I gave you a mulligan, oh, yeah. pick one shot, which one would you go for? Uh, I know just the one. Um, it'd be in my first my first full season on the European Tour. The 18th tee shot at uh, Madeira Island Open. Uh, I was tied for the lead. Uh, and I hit a, a drive out to the right, which, was, which is normally fine. Because there's really nothing down there. Only except for, I think, trees, uh, about three small trees. And obviously my, you know... When I get when we get, I hit the drive to the right and bounces right, I thought, okay, I'm just going to be in the rough, so still get to the green in two. But I come down there and I can't find my ball, and it turns out the a little kid picked up my ball. Oh no! And uh, when when you find out, he said, okay, you have to place it. So he threw the ball. You have to place it where it, where he found it. So he threw the ball up right about six inches from the from the root, and he said that's where he found it. Uh, and I was like, ah, you just threw the ball, so you're sure that's exactly where he found it. But you know he he didn't really speak English, so it's it's it was stuff, it's it's sort of, it's sort of, it's sort of hard to you know convince him that you know it's okay that you picked it up. You just have to put it back where you found it. I think he was a bit scared, so I think so. I ended up you know after having to play it right next to the tree, and I obviously I didn't have a shot, so I ended up making six and and losing the tournament. So oh dear, I think it was two because it was Peter Peter Uline who won. I think it was by two because you know I think he made part on the last. So that was, that's that's something that haunts me still. That sounds painful. <laughs> it, it was very painful, and uh, yeah, it's not something. I, it's not a fond memory, but at least I can laugh about it now. <laughs> only just. I'm looking only, at you. Only just, yeah, only just. <laughs> and Morton, thank you for your time. Much appreciated, and yeah. good luck this year on your European tour. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, that was Morton or Madsen. Um, tough story that one about how he finished up in the Madeira Islands Open there that must have been um, quite hard to bear Um, anyway before we get on to talking about the events on this week's um, European Tours PGA Tour um, Mike I wanted to uh, speak to you about some of the gear releases that Mm. we've had recently so we were in Orlando last week and we mentioned it last week on the podcast we didn't talk, talk too much about the gear that was out there that week um, we had big launches from TaylorMade, the, yep. the M2 range. Titleist had some new golf balls and new wedges. Um, very simple question. Of, of everything that you, you saw last week, what would be the pick of the bunch for you? I'm going to pick one mainstream product and then one uh, niche product. Mainstream product, I'd have to go for the new Ping G driver. Um I think G30 or that whole G franchise has been really successful for Ping. It's really been one driver that uh, fits any you know any type of golfer, whether you're a game improver, whether you're a tour player, somewhere in the middle. Uh, there is a they've really simplified 
the notion of you know a range of drivers i put it into one driver uh there was a time when brands were having four or five different yeah. driver models out it was incredibly confusing now with ping with g uh if you are game improved you need a bit of help um straightening out a left to right ball flight you use the sf tech version which stands for straight flight uh regular golfers just go for the regular uh g driver and then for the faster swing speeds you know for the better players uh the ls tech stands for low spin again that helps keep spin down optimizes launch um so really really easy to understand which i think is really key for golfers easy to understand um technology there um it's obviously G30, but incredibly successful driver. They will do well to, you know, replicate um, sales numbers on that. But I think they've got a good chance. Some very interesting technology with the Dragonfly Crown. And Mike, you played G30. Mm. Uh, one, th- uh, let, I'm playing devil's devil's advocate here. Um, I'd say G G looks very good. Yeah. But um, how much performance gain can you get from one generation of product to the next? So from G to G30. Very interesting question. I went up to um, Ping's European headquarters at Gainsborough uh, before we went to Orlando and did a, a day up there with some uh, Golf Monthly readers, also with Joel Tadman. Joel, again, like me, has played G30. Um, now, we both saw small gains, um, G30 versus G in terms of um, club head speed, really, that the, the story of Dragonfly Crown and the Vortec which is a bit of, um, it's almost like a spoiler on a car, looking to, all looking to increase aerodynamic efficiency, faster you swing the club head, the faster your ball speed should be, the faster your ball speed, the further you should be hitting it down yeah. the fairway. So the, um, the science stacks up. Um, you know, I was swinging it, I think, three miles an hour quicker than G30. Joel, just a fraction more. Um, but the honest answer is I think that if you are a current G30 owner, You'd need to be a big ping fan and probably to have a little bit of money left over from Christmas burning a hole in your Slushing pocket. To, to, yeah. And I think ping would also say that they wouldn't expect golfers to upgrade from, you know, from one model to the next. If you were using G25 or G20 or 15, you know, however or another far, brand. Or another <laughs> brand, absolutely. You know, if you haven't changed your driver for, um, let's say, a minimum of two years, it's worth going and having a look what's out there um to go on a launch monitor work with a pga pro see what the options are can you get a bit more performance and it's not just about distance it's about should be with you know with all clubs it should be about um you know your consistency absolutely you know both distance and also dispersion um and whether that's with driver or irons look at it you know does it you know is it outperforming what's in your bag currently have you got the money to be able to, you know, invest in, you know, new set And let's face it, a lot of golfers love having new golf kit in the bag. I know I certainly do. So, um, <laughs> you know, why not? It's, you know, it's people's passion, um, you know, but, but put in some new gear. You know, if it gives you a bit of confidence um, and you like having new product, then, you know, so, then go so for it. So what was your non-mainstream product? Oh, my non-mate, God, that, sorry. Yeah, was a really interesting hybrid from Yonex, who uh, Yonex makes some amazing golf kit, very high-end. Uh, their R&D and manufacturing process, I think, among the best in the business. Um, they're relatively, you know, unheralded, I think. They don't, you know, they're really big in racket sports, and they've always had a good heritage in golf. Uh, I remember Monty played, Colin Montgomery played Yonex for a long time. I think Mickelson played. Yeah, Yonex, um, Mickelson as well. And um, But they had a, a hybrid called 
the tri principle i think i'm right in saying and it had not only um a cut through on top of the crown almost like the nike you know nike covert when that came in had the um cut through in the bottom of the right. bottom of the sole which was again meant to make it more forgiving better launch uh certainly a very radical look now they put the cut through in the top of the crown it's all about trying to move center of gravity um lower and further back to help you with the launch so that was very striking and then they also had um the groove lines on the face of the club were at 45 degrees um which sounds strange but actually <laughs> when you put it down behind the ball it looked really good um yonex spend a lot of their development time working on the shaft combination they use their own proprietary shafts in the vast majority of their clubs and the money or the development time that goes into the shaft is really significant so it's a, for the Fionics, it's about getting the right head and shaft combo and certainly performance of it was really great so i thought it was really really interesting club I from have to keep my eyes peeled yeah most definitely um, uh, i wanted to ask you about um tailor-made launch so m2 came out so i think it was october last year that m1 originally yep. came out that was uh, m1 had the carbon fiber crown yep. and the movable uh, weight tracks in the yep. back one for spin one for shot shape yeah um so this t-track system yeah and this last week we saw m2 come out and m2 has no movable weights on the bottom of the uh, of the head uh, but has exactly the same footprint so when you mm. look down on the m1 or the m2 they pretty much the same they're pretty they? much the same. Yeah. they say they're not exactly the same but i would yeah. i would uh, you know uh, task anyone we're trying to figure out what the differences <laughs> yeah, absolutely. are absolutely um i didn't know whether this i'm going to be completely honest yeah. i didn't know whether this was a great idea or it wasn't going to work because they're they're 100 pounds difference yep the re, the recommended retail price is 100 pounds difference so 429 with m1 329 with m2 so both premium drivers but the mm -hmm. m1 being ultra premium i didn't know whether this would upset people who'd bought into M1 or it, whether it would, from a tailor-made perspective, inspire people just to go straight into M2 and not even think about M1 and all the adjustability that it offers. What were your thoughts when you first saw M2? Uh, I think it's a very clever bit of marketing to have um, two drivers that effectively look the same um, and that you'll see out on tour. Uh, certainly, I remember when tailor-made brought in R11, first white driver. That was a big part of their marketing. Was I remember talking to the guys at Telemed and said, "This is a you know, you will not be able to miss um, R11 on tour, white head." Um, yeah. And you get a lot of people saying, "What's that driver with the you know with the white head?" I remember it was the same when um, Aldila uh, bought in the NV shaft, which was a green shaft. That was back oh, nearly ten years ago, and everyone was going, oh, what, "You know, what's that green shaft?" And it drives a lot of interest in the product. I think. Um, if you're being critical of TaylorMade, you would say, why not release both driver models at the same time? Then yep. everybody can choose whether they want to have that sort of ultimate dialed-in performance that M1 offers, or do they just want um, easy-to-launch, long, forgiving, forgiving driver, which is what M2 is all about. Now, TaylorMade would tell you they launched them apart, so each driver had its own chance to shine. Um, that worked from their perspective. Does it work from the consumer's perspective? I'm not so sure. Um, I understand why they've done it from a business perspective. Probably if they were being, um, you know, really thinking in terms of just the consumer, they put both models, because obviously the technology is, you know, is very similar with the carbon crown. It's about saving weight and what that allows you to do with that discretionary that weight, whether it's in terms of the T-track uh, on M1 or just moving that central gravity lower and further back in in, in, in M2. Um 
Yeah, and I suppose they're thinking, you know, at that lower price point, you will attract the golfer who just wants to, you know, really after the latest thing, going to go and um, pick it off the shelf, not necessarily have a custom fitting. Yeah. And I've got to say, we would always advise have a custom fitting, even if it's a... You would even... I think you would get custom fitted for M2. I mean, you're spending a lot of money. It's 329 yeah. oh. quid. And there, there is some adjustability. Oh, absolutely. Adjust the loft, absolutely. Uh, sleeve, but, so. but you still see, you look at the retail stats, and I think on drivers... Only sixty percent of golfers are getting custom fitted, so there's still forty percent of golfers just buying it off the rack. Yeah, well, don't you know? Can't be bothered with the hassle. Yeah, you know, maybe think, oh, you know, all that sort of, you know, getting dialed in—that's not for me. I just want something I like. And they want to be cost. able to cater for that. Absolutely. One thing I would say: I tested both. Uh, well, actually, I tested the M2 when we mm. were out in Orlando, and I thought the performance of M2 was so good that my my opinion was that the performance of m2 was so good that you would have to have a very specific set of characteristics mm-hmm. to warrant m1 really yep, i that, agree that you you would really feel that your i don't know your spin characteristics was were quite extreme mm-hmm. or that you really needed the shot shaping help yep. and i don't think it's about perf- a performance level i don't think it's about handicap level mm. with this driver because i think if you're somebody that struggles with a weak fade and yep. every time you hit it you lose <laughs> sorry like smiling at me i'm not talking directly to you but Thank you. Um, <laughs> i could be <laughs> if you're someone who hits a weak fade and that you're losing distance because of that then it doesn't really matter what your handicap is you could be off scratch or you could yep. be off yep 28 yep. that the m1 would be the right way to go yeah. but if you're somebody that has um typical mm. launch stats then yep. actually you're going to find a hell of a lot of performance yeah, for m2 because i thought m2 was a great driver mm. and that the biggest problem that taylor may were creating for themselves was what you know how were people going to yeah. feel about m1 I, and i suppose again if you're looking at it from a business perspective had they released both drivers together would m2 just have blown m1 out of the market um from a business perspective you probably want to release your most expensive product first let um you know let the excitement build on that and then bring in a more uh, affordable version of that without all the bells and whistles i think on a as you say m1 offers that ultimate adjustability whether it's about reducing spin by moving that um t-track you know the weight in t-track right to the front or whether it's about shot shaping so moving it from the you know to the heel or toe but you're right it, you know that is very dialed in there there's so much performance in M2 that £100 is a lot of money to save. Is fantastic in yeah. M2 as well. Really good. And so I looked at the, you know, I was there when you and Joel were testing M2 and Joel obviously tested um, M1 versus M2. Uh, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of difference at all. It just M1 allows the golfer working, you know, whether it's on their own or with a fitter to really dial in, you know, as you say, that launch condition. So... Taylor made to be honest, you're probably going to get a bit of a kick in whatever they do. Um, uh, I think the important thing to to do without sort of you know seem like I'm trying to back them up is that um, M2 does not replace M1. You know, M2 is a replacement for the Aero Burner driver. Um, so yeah, you know they've now got two drivers in the line. Hopefully they'll keep them in the line for you know for 12 months. But you know as we know, Taylor made do have short product cycles, and when they've got technology which they believe is an improvement on what's out there at the moment that you know they have a record of putting that into the market whether or not they'll they'll do that with that um i don't know but yeah um and uh just a very uh, honorable mention for new titleist Vokey wedges um so bob Vokey releasing uh, sm6 which is their their first wedge release for actually quite a long time yep. isn't it and they've got a cool center of gravity story there where they brought the center of gravity up 
in the yes. lower lower right. lofts. Yep. To get a more consistent flight, stop that ballooning flight that you can Yeah, so get when you wedges. you could go into a Vokey 52 degree yeah. wedge and you'll get a more consistent, as you say, flight and mm. feel and distance to what you would have from with your set wedge. Yeah. So that, that makes the transition a bit easier. I thought that made a lot of sense. They've actually... Uh, simplified the grind story a little mm-hmm. bit which again it makes sense you get more grind options as you go into the higher lofted clubs you've got more options in that end of the yep. uh, end of the set um, and they look yeah, they absolutely do. Absolutely awesome. They, they look fantastic. I remember when the guys bought um, some early samples in to to show us those three different finishes. Uh, you would do, you know, it's your devil's own job trying to pick your favourite finish. Let alone then, obviously, yeah. loft, you know, bounce, grind, everything like that. And and uh, I know um, Neil, you've spoken to Bob Vokey many times in the past, and one of our other colleagues, Jez Elwood, was out saw him in. Portugal yeah. last week. He is one of the most enthusiastic people. Honestly, you you've never met ever. anyone like him. He <laughs> he loves designing golf yeah. clubs for people. Absolutely. And uh, it's the artisanry. Yeah. If that, there's no such word, is there? I, I, I think actually <laughs> probably when it comes to his his wedges and also Scotty Cameron's putters, yeah, there is a, there is a an artisan feel to it. Oh, definitely. Uh, Completely. And, definitely. It's, and it's that pride in the yeah. look. In particular, and they're kind of creating this thing that just looks stunning that that he sort of buys into. Uh, Anyway, I think let's move on from golf equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And let's have a quick look at next or this week's uh, tournaments, uh, US Tour, PGA Tour. Uh, uh, Firstly, in Europe... I say in Europe. It's actually in South Africa. Yep. It's the Tishwani Open. Indeed, Mike, yeah. what's your knowledge of the Tishwani Open like? Limited. <laughs> um, Limited. I think it's interesting, obviously, that you have the run of South African events, back end of, you know, or of course it's all the 2016 season, but back end of 2015 and then start of the year. And then they go back to South Africa. How much momentum that loses? Um, I've not had a look at the entry list for the field this pre- year significant uh, South African contingent in yeah. the field and it, it's got uh, Charles Schwartz will probably be yep. the headline player and then, then it's it's your kind of mid-ranking European tour okay. players without wanting to, yeah, yeah. to be um, you know, rude about I guess them, it's it, I guess it's a stop-off on the way back from you know from the Middle East so um, so you, you're looking at the likes of Brett Rumford and Lee yep. Slattery and then it's an opportunity for the likes of Max Orin Jack yep. Senior so some good Walker Cup players to yep. make their mark so yes it's not the strongest event on the European Tour It's whoever wins it it's not going to transform well it might transform mm. their career but it's not going to leap them up to the very top level of the game but it is an opportunity for some of them to sort of well A get a, you know, get a good strong performance in um, make some money and you know, earn some playing rights going forward. So Most definitely, and also interesting. I'm now going to um, do another bit of name dropping. I was chatting to Dale Hayes at the um, the Orlando show as well. We were um, met on the uh, on the TaylorMade booth. They were just about to do some some interviews on his sort of work for I think it's Supersport, the um, South African uh, sports channel out there. And we were just chatting about the fantastic. Um, production line of south african golfers and oh, yeah. i just said you know why you know you're uh, you know relatively um small sort of country you put them up against the sort of you know the, the the us i guess but you know how come south african golfers are so successful and he just said it's that sporting um gene that you know and and desire that real competitive edge absolutely um he said you know junior golf is is really strongly supported in south africa that um they get a lot of backing uh junior golfers out there obviously again like in the u.s fantastic climate to you know to, to be able to sort of play and practice in so 
that sort of uh, production line of, of South African golf, I guess Brandon Stone is probably the latest one that sort of springs to mind. And Hayden Portius looks yeah, good as well. Absolutely. He was up there at the end of the you know, Desert Classic. D- don't expect that to stop anytime soon. And, you know, maybe, um, you know, if you're looking for, um, you know, some of the future stars of the European Tour watching the Schwani Open this week, you'll get to see some guys that, you know, over the coming months and years will, I'm sure, become, you know, become household names. We shall see. Mm. We shall see. Uh, okay, and then it's the AT&T Pebble Beach um, yeah. event, which um, is going to steal all the attention, and yeah. quite rightly so. Jordan Spieth plays, um, and then it's any time the world number one rocks up. Well, most of the time when the world number one comes along on the PGA Tour, a lot of the rest are going to come because the world ranking points are so good, and I'm sure the prize fund is good. But, Mike, as a way of preview for this tournament, yeah. I've actually set you seven questions. Oh, my goodness me. Right, <laughs> okay. Now, <laughs> before we start, I just want to say that, um, Mike, you are in the process of planning a holiday I to, indeed, yeah. um, to San Fran and uh, yeah. to California. So yeah. um, so I know you've been sort of potentially thinking about a little trip to Pebble Beach. Yeah, so. absolutely. It is on the way down. I kept saying to my wife that uh, it wouldn't be too much of a diversion to um, sort of turn uh, turn right and head down, um, you know, sort of uh, that Pacific how did coast. That, how, did, how did she respond to that? Uh, actually, fun enough, we went to Carmel on our honeymoon about 15 years ago, and I was allowed to go and have a little walk around, have a little look at, um, walked up from the beach at Carmel, have a look at some of the holes there. And it, it, it is abs- it's a spectacular setting for sure. I know sometimes Pebble Beach gets um, a little bit of, you know, sort of bad press that it's a, you know, six, seven hole golf course, but it all looked pretty fantastic to me when I was there. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'll, be, I'll be lobbying for a repeat visit. Um, um, in, over Easter. Okay, so right, seven questions. <laughs> my God, <laughs> not going to do my um, my what kind of credibility. Yeah, good here. Where's Nick? Where's Nick, Nick Bonfield when you get him on the phone? Um, okay, <laughs> so when when was Pebble Beach opened? Oh crikey! Um, 1919? Yes. Oh, get in. See, I, I having done a little bit of research, um, that was one thing I do remember. Very impressive. Um, how many majors has Pebble Beach hosted? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I want to say six. Correct. Really? <laughs> oh, this is fantastic. This, um, uh, so the Pebble B&B... <laughs> You've thrown me. The, Pe- the Pebble Beach, not B&B Classic, AT&T Classic. Um, uh, there are. It's a bit like the Dunhill, um, yep, yep. The, the Alfred Dunhill tournament up at St Andrews. There are three golf courses. What are the other two? Oh, um, Spyglass. Yes. And Poppy Hills. No. No. Uh, oh no! You're letting yourself down here. I'm Mike. letting myself down here. <laughs> Spyglass definitely. My mind's gone blank. What's the area? Known as Monterey. Yes, Monterey Peninsula. Oh, okay. Yeah. Has it always been those three? Oh, no, I'm oh. asking the questions, <laughs> not you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I always remember playing um, Tiger Woods golf on um, yeah. EA Sports, and I was and Poppy, Poppy, Poppy Hills, Hills was on, was yeah. always on there. Yeah, never, never, obviously never been there, but seen <laughs> it on a few times on the computer game. Uh, okay, so who was second at last year's AT&T? So I'll tell you who won it. Branson Edica won it. He finished second. Mickelson? Uh, Nick Watney. Nick Watney. That was one you were going to have to know as opposed to guess. Yeah. Well, Mickelson always, you know, seems to do well at Pebble. What's the total prize fund <laughs> in dollars? And I'll, I'll 
I'll, I'll give it to you within the nearest half million. <laughs> oh, well, if you, the, the prize fund or the winners? Total prize fund. I didn't check what the winner's share was, but I presume it's 1.1 or 2. 4 million? 7 million. Crikey, that's a yeah, lot of money. It's a lot of dough, isn't it? It's a lot of money. Um, who were the last three US Open champions around Pebble Beach? Oh, well, GMAC uh, last time. Um, Tiger. Yes. Um, who won it by an absolute mile. country One of mile. the greatest performances in golf. That's the, the story there was that he almost ran out of golf balls. That's right, yeah. yeah. So he was, I think it was his third round or second round yeah and he'd uh, steve williams had only put three golf balls in the bag um <laughs> but it had been a, a terrible uh, logistical yeah. error before yeah. going out to play and he only had three golf balls and he hit one in he lost one and then he hit one in the water going down yeah. 17 i think yeah. it was so he played the 18th with only one golf ball with the, with pacific with, ocean all out left hand yeah, side yeah and williams said to him tiger why don't you hit like an iron off the <laughs> and, and Woods looked at him as if he was mad and said no way and so apparently I, I, I don't know I, I, this, I yeah. could well be making this story up but but Williams tried to persuade him not to hit driver Tiger thought he was mad hit driver played the 18th and then Williams turned to him at the last and said by the way that was your last golf ball <laughs> and now interestingly I was reading something about that now would it would he have been able to borrow a ball from another player in his group uh, i think it would have to be the same so long as it was the same ball the same so somebody else yeah, so it was a nike okay golf right ball. yeah yeah but you can because i think same a lot impression. of people thought if you'd run out it would have had to basically walk in and then ah you might have had to ask someone in the crowd to go and get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you've got like five minutes to go and find it um okay and then i need to tell you the, got... the the third play- tom watson no no who uh, was before tiger it was Tom Kite. Tom Kite. Oh. Oh two out of three. Do I get half a point or something like that? <laughs> on two and a half. Okay, and this one you should know. <laughs> What's the green fee? <laughs> Again, uh, this has come from Wikipedia, so... Um, I think uh, it's 495 bucks. <laughs> Is that correct? <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, that if you're in any doubt as to whether Mike was doing his research to whether he could get a game at Pebble Beach, there you have it. um four hundred and ninety five dollars on the nose well done um that's it's got to be that's that's i know it's expensive but well again i've been you know i've been trying to sow the seed my wife that actually as part of the overall cost of the family that's a drop in the ocean (laughs) drop in the pacific yeah okay so um so snedeker is defending yep um most of the best players in the world playing give us a give us a thought on who you think might do well well, given that he seemed incredibly confident when he was being interviewed by Tim Barter last night, I and Shane Lowry, um, you know, is in really good form at the moment. I'm going to go for, for Shane Lowry as my outside bet. Um, he played well there last year, didn't yeah. he? I think yeah. it, was, it was interesting. I interviewed him at Wentworth uh, last year before the, PM, the BMW PGA, and he talked about his change to his schedule and going out and playing in the US at the start of the year, and he played well. Uh, I think it was the, the one of the ones in Hawaii mm. and then played well at the one that Snedeker's just won, the, the name of which is just avoiding me. Um, and th- that really set up the foundations for a fantastic year. Torrey Pines, wasn't Torrey it? Torrey Pines, yeah. <laughs> I really should remember Although that. I don't think it's called Torrey... What's the... It's called the um, Farmer's Insurance Open. Indeed, there you go. 
thank you. Well done. Um, uh, who do I think will do well? I'm going to go <laughs> go for Harris English. Oh, okay. Uh, played well, obviously, this week in Phoenix, and I think he's a class player. I yeah. think he's one of these players that he's got a lot of golf game, and it wouldn't surprise me to see him do well. There you go. Well, I'm going to invest one pound each round him on the strength of your tip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got a good track record with Cabrera Bay <laughs> last week. Um, anyway, that's it. That brings us to the end of this week's um, podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, please do keep an eye out for us on the Golf Monthly website and the Golf Monthly Facebook, Twitter, uh, YouTube, um, Instagram. We're, we're there. Wherever you go, we're there. Uh, with more and more golf stuff so please keep an eye out for it Uh, but in the meantime um, I'll say goodbye and we'll see you next time